If you would, please take your Bibles out and open them to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. In fact, uh, it is a, probably a very familiar passage of Scripture to you, many of us having read it multiple times, I would imagine, and maybe even heard multiple expositions, maybe in, in keeping with communion or, or maybe during uh, a Good Friday service or perhaps during Easter. Uh, but we're going to take some time now to do something uh, very intentional. Last week, when we were going through and I was given the exposition on Romans, uh, obviously, as Richard's already referenced, it was very heavy on proclamation. This idea that you and I as believers are called within whatever sphere we find ourselves in to be proclaimers of the word, to, to faithfully proclaim Christ to the world. And I, as I said then, I won't, I won't re-preach the whole sermon, but as I said then, that's obviously going to depend on circumstances and context, but the idea is that we are, in fact, prepared and ready to proclaim Christ in the area in which God has called us. And in keeping with that, one of the things that I think is helpful for us as believers is to have a, a, a storehouse of verses and, and themes from the Bible that we can go to very quickly. So if you've been at the chapel any amount of time, you have definitely heard me say that the sum of the gospel is God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That comes right out of 2 Corinthians. That is my go-to verse when I want to share the gospel, or if I want to present the gospel, or I want to explain the gospel principle and precepts, that's where I'll go. And I go there very naturally. It's just ingrained in me that when I want to start talking about gospel, I'll talk about those principles because it encapsulates it. Well, that's not the only place in the Bible that's there. There are several of those. And in fact, if you were to ask Richard if he has a favorite one, he might tell you something different than mine. And, and if you ask somebody else if they have a favorite one, they might tell you something different than Richard's. And so I thought as gospel proclaimers, opportunities for us to proclaim the gospel over the next several Communion Sunday messages, since we normally take a break from our, our exposition and we do something in keeping with the table, I might exposit a handful of those for us so that, for one, maybe you could write it down or, or be able to call it to mind and take some notes and, and have these at the ready and at the recall if you find yourself in a situation where you might have the opportunity to explain the gospel. So my, my purpose, my intent is really twofold. One is very pragmatic to, as your pastor, give you some tools that might help you be able to do that. And the other is also, as your pastor, is philosophical, is to exposit God's Word and hope that it gets deeper inside our own minds and hearts that we might labor well for Christ. And so to that end, this morning, we're going to be looking specifically at Isaiah chapter 53, 4 through 6, but I'm going to read the whole chapter because the whole chapter sets the pace gives the context is important for us to understand because that middle, that middle section, those little verses of 4, 5, and 6, they really do capture the heart of this whole chapter. And so without further delay, please, if you will, join me in reading God's Word together. It is Isaiah chapter 53. Beloved of God, this is God's infallible and errant Word. Who has believed what the Lord has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth." By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So is the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing. Please pray with me. Father, this morning we come to your word, this powerful prophecy in Isaiah, and we are reminded of the rich beauties of the gospel, of redemption, of, of the very thing that the table in front of us represents. Be with us this morning as we worship through teaching and preaching. I pray that you would deepen our roots in the power of the gospel and that you would help us to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. It's through his name we pray. Amen. When you read this, it, it, it actually is difficult for me to understand, to wrap my mind around the fact that Isaiah wrote this some centuries before Jesus came onto the scene some centuries with the precision with which he wrote. There have been many speculations as to who else Isaiah 53 might be in reference to in, ancient, uh, in, in some ancient rabbinic circles and even modern rabbinic circles. They would have seen Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, being an example or a symbol of Israel herself. But what we need to understand is with the, the level of precision with which Isaiah writes can only be Spirit-inspired. A uh, man didn't just make this up. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Another thing is it so adequately and aptly describes Jesus and His ministry and His person and His life that we really can draw no other conclusion than the simple fact that this told us about the coming of Messiah centuries before he came. This told us exactly what we should expect from Messiah centuries before he came. Isaiah is a herald. He proclaims, if you will, the truth and beauty of God's plan and his word to the world. And so when we think about what we've just read, it is a powerful reminder of what it means for us to be possessors 
and to be proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when we look at His death on display for us this morning at the table and we think about the body and we think about the blood, beloved of God, it gives us that powerful reminder that a body was given and blood was shed so that the reality and promises made herein about being freed from transgression and iniquity might indeed come to pass. And so when we start thinking about our obligation, our call in our world, how we might be faithful, how we might work in those gospel conversations, passages like this, they give us an arsenal, an arsenal of truth to be able to come into conversation after we have drank deeply from the Lord, after we have eaten our fill of His truth at His table, to come and then to share our fare with other people. When we look at this passage, I'm merely interested, as I told you a moment ago, looking at verses 4, 5, and 6. We could, we could do many expositions on this chapter. We don't have time for many expositions this morning, so we're going to look at these three verses, 4, 5, and 6, that really get into this main idea of, our, uh, of the message this morning. Very simple. We just sang about it in Man of Sorrows, that, that Jesus, if Isaiah to, is to be believed, and He is, He's speaking truth that Jesus stood in our place condemned. And so when we start thinking about the gospel, where the, one of the places, one of the directions we have to go is that Jesus stood in our place condemned. What I might call this, it's actually printed in your bulletin, when you look at these verses 4, 5, and 6, the whole chapter really, verses 4, 5, and 6 as we're looking at it, we could aptly call this, it would be correct, appropriate, to call this the heart of the gospel. Uh, this is the foundational stone on which the gospel is built. Every other ripple effect that the gospel has, it has to begin here. It has to begin, I'm going to use a fancy phrase, substitutionary atonement. That atonement for sin was made by a substitute, not us, and his name was Jesus. Everything has to build on that. I mean, that it has to. Beloved, when we take that out of it, if we remove that piece, there is no gospel. There is no gospel. If appeasement, if atonement is not made, there is no gospel. And so this is where we'll begin our little series of gospel nuggets for conversation. You can't get away from the overarching idea. And it comes right off the bat, right in verse 4. So he's kind of given us a little introduction in the first three verses. Tells us a little bit about the fact he is a man of sorrows, despised, rejected, all those things that Jesus in, in fact endured. But he begins to build in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Look, now, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. What it tells us is that he's functioning as a, as a substitute in, in a way. That he is taking something that's ours. He's, he's standing in the gap in a very meaningful and powerful way to take something that is ours on himself. So he's coming alongside us and removing a burden that is rightfully ours. He's borne our sorrows. He's carried our griefs or borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So when we start looking at this, one of the first things I think that we've got to establish here, so we, we, we see substitute, we think atonement, so those are the overarching big theological words. We start breaking that down, start looking at a reality of that there's a just condemnation, a just judgment that takes place, just like there is a very gracious salvation 
that takes place. When we start thinking about sorrows and griefs and, and condemnation, but when we work in this idea of substitution, beloved, we become very clear on what the gospel then is. There's a judgment, right? There is, there is, there's a just condemnation of sin and its power, but there, there's a substitution so that those who are being delivered from that might have hope. And then we get the grace aspect. So when we look at this, what Isaiah lays out for us, yet to, be, yet to happen, but that would happen, was this transaction of mercy. So this transaction of mercy that God steps in so humanity can do two simple things, flourish and live. Not just any humanity, though, but, but those who are tied to this suffering servant. This is not just a blanket promise to anybody and everybody in the world. This is a, a promise to those who are walking and living and by faith have received Christ. So it makes it very specific. You start seeing these pronouns. He has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. This hour here is the community, the community of people who believe this gospel, who, who live under the banner of, of this gospel so that Isaiah is not offering something that, that is just universal without commitment, without obligation, but something that is very specific, though offered to humanity, realized by those who put their faith in the one who did these things. So as he starts this, so he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So this idea is that he takes our burdens. The way this is written in the Hebrew is not just like he kind of begrudgingly takes them. The idea would be someone who takes on your burden, now it's their burden. So it's not as they're taking on your burden, they're gripe, griping at you for putting them in this situation. They're taking on your burden without critique, without condemnation, without browbeating. And now this is our burden. See, the beauty of the gospel is this, that God comes incarnate in Christ per Isaiah's prophecy and does just that. He takes our burden as if it's his own. That, in other words, there's no shaming. He takes what is ours, which is exactly what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Don't you see the beauty of what this is? He's taken something that is not his as if it was his, and he's bearing it out. He's taking it. Beloved, that has to be worth proclaiming for us. I love how he describes he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So this sickness, this sorrow, I want you to see how God talks about human brokenness, human sin. It's not glamorous. It's not something to be envied. It says it's, it's sickness. It's a pathway to sorrow and death. There is no hope at the end of that road. There is no life at the end of that road. There is no joy at the end of that road. That's why Christians, we of all people, cannot affirm people who are walking in a sinful path and tell them it's okay, be true to yourself. That's the last thing we want to tell people. Because being true to our fleshly self is a pathway to death, sorrow, sickness, 
abandonment, and condemnation. So Isaiah labels it correctly. He's telling us exactly where that road would lead. That those who, who are walking in sin and walking in flesh are walking in sickness and walking in sorrow. And so he labels sin aptly. But look at what he says here. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. Do y'all remember the old hymn? Stricken, smitten, and afflicted. See him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by men rejected. Oh, my soul, my soul, tis he. It's the long, I won't keep going. But you, you get the idea. There's a, there's a hymn about this. But the, that, that the consequences of this sickness and sorrow that he is stricken, smitten, and afflicted, those three words are meant to multiply an idea. They're meant to draw emphasis out. Hebrew does that. If, they, if the Hebrew wants you to really emphasize something, it'll either repeat the same word or it'll use like this kind of parallel idea of keep saying the same thing in a different way so that you, you get it like he was dead, he was done, he was finished, he was destroyed, he was out of there, he was gone. I mean, it does that sometimes almost ad nauseum just to get the point across. So what we see here, Isaiah very eloquently talks about him being being stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Stricken and smitten are, are kind of the same thing. Struck. He was struck down. He was afflicted with a, a great weight. So when we start thinking about what is the true ramification of sin, that, that, that's it. That, that's it. That, that captures that judgment aspect beautifully and perfectly. And so when we live in our world, obviously we've just said sin isn't glamorous. It's not trivial. It stands accursed by God. And so when we see what the consequences of sin are, we were just talking about this in the adult Bible hour just a, a little while ago. We don't live in a world of karma. It's not like if you do bad things and, or you send bad vibes, bad things are going to happen to you. It's very popular for people to think that way. This is not a karmic setting here. Isaiah's not talking about karma. He's talking about the judgment and wrath of God on sin. And beloved, now hang on, I, wanna, I want you to, don't walk out of here and think, Brad says we don't have to do good to people. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. You, you should be kind. We should be nice. And, and we understand that being kind is usually, there's a, there's a reciprocal act in that. Kindness generally breeds kindness. Not always. But I want us to understand here that Isaiah is laying out not just a simple misdeed. Not just simply not being kind. This is sin. And sin has a wrath stored up for it that is wrought by God that is devastating. So why do we proclaim the gospel? If, if we just stopped right there and said, well, this is a good reason to do it, this would be a good, good, good place to stop. It's reason enough to say, hey, we need to tell people about the truth, beauty, and love of Jesus Christ. Because we understand from texts like this what's coming down the pike for those who've rejected that. And so Isaiah builds on this. So this kind of stricken, smitten, and afflicted becomes the overarching statement, and then he adds detail to it. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Now we're getting into something more specific. Obviously, this immediately will conjure up images of a crucifixion. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was 
crushed under criticism and, and crippling weight of the cross and a scourging that I dare not even mention what it did to his body. He was, all those things happened to him literally for us because of our transgressions, because of our iniquities, that he received wounds in his body that brought you and I, or you and me, if we are in Christ, it's more in healing, a true soul healing. All those things are true, but I want you to notice there should be little asterisks around that little pronoun, our. He was pierced for our transgressions, not his. He was crushed for our, our. I'm saying our very southernly. Our is what I mean, not our. Our, yeah, you can even go the pirate direction, I suppose. Um, our transgressions, our iniquities. He was crushed and he was pierced for these things. And again, we're getting at the human misery aspect. That, that sin is going in a godless way. And what does it do? Well, the, the, the ripple effect it had on Jesus was that a death had to occur to atone for the destruction that sin brought. Isaiah uses some graphic words here. We don't have time to get into all that, but this idea of being pierced and, and crushed and, and smitten and afflicted and struck and stricken. I mean, these ideas are meant to conjure up this idea of something that is so unpalatable to us that we don't really want to think about it. But here's what the gospel tells us. God did think about it. And God saw the death in which we walked and indulged in the power of sin. And he made a way for that power to be absolutely broken and for life to occur. And it begins, right? It begins here. This does become foundational. This is the heart of it. Because the only possible fruit of sin is misery, Beloved of God, I, I wish I believed that more than, than I do. I, I, and I, if I could impress anything on our hearts more and more and more and more, it's that the sins that the world offers us, they really only ever lead to misery. No matter how fun they may be for a season, no matter how freeing it may feel in a moment, no matter how much quote-unquote satisfaction we may have in a circumstance, it is fleeting. It's death. It is life-taking. It is joy-sucking. And any other combination of words you can think of that does not sound good. But Jesus, we're setting, Isaiah setting the table for us. He, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. By his wounds, we are healed. Before we get to the healing, the chastisement, that his judgment, that peace comes through his own conflict. What kind of peace is Isaiah talking about? Not the absence of conflict so much as a wholeness, that shalom that God wants to give his people, that, that wholeness of mind and, and heart and contentment in him. And so that we're healed, that we're healed Beloved, not, not like some prosperity gospel preachers will preach about what is the, the healing that you need. It's the healing that the Messiah 2,000 years ago came to the earth to provide, which is a healing from sin and death, that soul healing. Yes, if God heals your body, praise the Lord. We're praying that God 
restore Priscilla to 100%. Yes, pray for that. But the healing that Isaiah is talking about here is that brokenness of soul that sin and Satan have crushed and that God can restore and that God does restore. And as we're going to celebrate here in just a moment in the table, in Christ has restored. That's the healing. And so if you're in Christ this morning, you are whole. You're not what you will be yet, but brother or sister, you are not what you were. And we praise God for that because we are on a road of sanctification. We've been justified. We're being sanctified. And someday soon, we will be glorified and we will remember Christ on the earth. This gospel message and celebrate with brothers and sisters through the ages. Loved ones long lost. Those whom we have longed to be with, we will. And that won't even be the best part. So the gospel becomes vital in our conversations. That healing, that life. I love how Isaiah, and this is the beauty of this, is this morning, it's kind of where we'll end. All we like sheep have gone astray. I love this. We've turned our own way. So that means if you can hear me, you have gone astray. If you can hear me, you are a sheep who has gone astray. Doesn't mean you're astray right now, but it certainly means when Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray, every single one of us, none of us are immune from that, that we've gone astray and we've needed the life-giving, nourishing, soul-lifting, renewing power and love of Jesus Christ to come and restore and rescue. But he uses sheep, and that's very specific. Uh, you, you must know that the sheep are stubborn animals and also not that smart. Uh, you don't have to search hard on the Internet to find sheep doing dumb things. Uh, I've, I've Googled it before. Like, if you ever saw my Google history, you probably laugh because, like, sheep doing dumb things. And you can see it. There's one, one of my favorites is this farmer gets the sheep out of a crack. I mean, literally pulls it up and gets it going. It's like, all right. And the thing jumps, jumps, boom, right back into it. Right back in the situation. So when Isaiah talk, calls us, we like sheep, it's very apropos. Because how many times is that thing that you get, in, you get caught up into, that you do it, and you know exactly where it's going to lead you. You know where it's going to take you. You know the shame and the guilt it's going to produce. You know the argument and conflict it's going to produce. You know the own internal feelings of consternation it's going to produce, but we do it. Why? Because we're like sheep. We're like sheep who kick against the goads of our shepherd. That's why these gospel messages never get old, right? That's why we never grow past needing them. Because we all like sheep have gone astray. That we wander but here's what Isaiah says we all like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all so we've gone our own way we've strayed from truth we've strayed from goodness we've strayed from beauty we've strayed from righteousness but what has the Lord done well in the meantime the Lord has laid on him those iniquities iniquities fancy word for sin transgressions another word for sin both and they get at the same idea lawlessness or just immoral acts. And we remember, though we don't like to think of ourselves as immoral people, we're talking about God's moral code, which we break often. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to restore us, to restore us into his kingdom, 
to restore us as sons and daughters, but to give us hope in those day-to-day struggles with the own, our own sin propensities that lead us astray. So the Lord lays on him, or laid on him, the beauty of, of this. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Don't you love this? That's a past tense verb. Isaiah is talking about something as a completed action that hasn't happened for another seven year, or 700 years. You know, that's called uh, the technical term for that in grammar, especially in Hebrew, is a perfect of certitude. And all that means is, he's just speaking of a past event as if it's happened because you're so certain that it will. It's already happened. And it has already happened for us. But here's the thing. For these rich and beautiful things, for us to know them and experience them, Christ had to submit to the judgment of Yahweh. For us to know and experience that, we are called to live in submission by faith to the Lordship of Christ. And beloved, we can proclaim any message we want in today's world. That's the message the world needs. Yes, stand for truth. Yes, stand for morality. Yes, stand for the things that you have convictions about. But may this be the primary conviction for which we stand. Because this is what God has done for you and what God has done for me. So at the end of the day, when we look at this Isaiah 4, 5, and 6, that's your first, that's a first little gospel nugget for you to tuck away, to keep, keep close, keep it at hand. As we think about sharing the gospel with people who may be far off and some who are near, you can't do any better than this right here. And Jesus was condemned that we might be free, free to live and to serve the Lord in His kingdom. Please pray with me. Father, thank You as we prepare our minds and hearts to receive the supper as This table puts on clear display exactly what Isaiah speaks of. That a body that was pierced and crushed, that transgressions that were taken away by a pure and beautiful blood that gives us a new life, new hope, and all things that we need in you. Be with us this morning as we prepare our minds and hearts to receive solidify these words of Isaiah into our minds and hearts that we might be faithful proclaimers. It's through the name of Christ we pray. Amen.